Welcome back to the Product Alchemy Podcast. Your host today is Jack Considine alongside Namish Kaisla. Today's guest is Annabelle Klein. She's an independent music creator supporting small artists, running concerts, and redefining how new music is found and artists are promoted. Join us as we discuss how she broke into the music industry, interviewed artists like J.I.D., thrown events all over the country in her 20s, and how she turned fun TikToks into a fully functional business. All right, welcome back, everyone, to the podcast. Um, today, I'm happy to introduce you guys to Annabelle Kleinzillis. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Very stoked to be here. All right, Annabelle, the first thing we want to talk to you about is we want to bring you back to a fateful day where you made your first TikTok video um, and bring you back to the ideation. We went back into the archives. And what made you kind of get into first making a TikTok, but also why did you choose music overall as like the, the medium of choice to talk about? Yeah, so I mean, I had originally gotten on TikTok when everyone did, like kind of at the beginning of the pandemic, like early mid 2020. Um, and so I had just gotten familiar with like fucking around on TikTok. Me and all my roommates would always like, the, the year that I made that first TikTok that blew up, I was living with my roommates and we were all really close. So we would always like make TikToks together and it was just like a fun way to bond. Um, and the reason I made that first TikTok is because I was telling Jack before we like, started recording this one night I just got really high with my roommates and we were joking we had just hung out with like a group of guy friends and we were talking about how easy it is to generalize men based off of the music they listen to with love <laughs> and so uh, I just decided to make a little TikTok about it and I was like this is what his favorite rapper says about him so that's how that happened. Um, so I would say music kind of chose me in that sense because once that blew up I kind of I kept making it into a series and I realized like, oh, I've always loved talking about music. I've always been the person that wouldn't shut up about music. I've loved music my whole life. I always dreamed of working in music. So like the fact that this opportunity has opened up, people want to listen to me talk about music. I'm going to take it and run with it. So that's kind of how that happened. It happened very naturally. And TikTok well, in general, right. like... Sorry, oh, you're yeah. very right because yeah. uh, Jack Jack uh, is a big J. Cole fan and that J. Cole description of that first TikTok was like a little too accurate. <laughs> it's crazy. And I w it was so crazy that people were telling me I was accurate because I was really just shooting in the dark. Like I was like, this could completely flop and people could make fun of me. I could be so wrong. But I was really basing it off of a lot of like men in my life that I knew. And then everyone was commenting like, yo, this is so true and tagging their friends and being like, LOL, this is you. So it was cool to see that happen. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so we're also just super curious, like, about um, your specific, like, draw to music. So can you just tell us more about, like, yeah, why you, like, like, I think you kind of started telling us just a little bit about why you chose to do that music, like, avenue. And then also just, like, how are you able to translate that into just most of, like, your life now? Yeah, so music and I just have like a lifelong history together. I grew up with two parents who are very much like music lovers. And I grew up with like a mom who was super into early 2000s hip hop and R&B. She used to be a kickboxing instructor at 24 Hour Fitness. And I would sit in the corner of like, she wouldn't take me to daycare. She would sneak me into her kickboxing class and let me sit in the corner. And I would listen to her instruct her classes and she would have these CDs that she made with like Usher and Timbaland and Kanye. And so like, I grew up listening to that and loving that music. And then on the flip side, I grew up with my dad who loved like the Beatles and the Beach Boys and um, a lot more like rock inspired music. My dad used to make playlists for when we would go on family trips and we would only listen to that playlist so that after the trip, whenever we heard those songs, we'd have memories of our trip so I just had two parents who like very much brought music into my life in so many ways I went to my first concert when I was five with my dad it was Jimmy Buffett and you know I've just uh, I've been surrounded by music my whole life so I think it was only natural that I grew up loving music and um, yeah as I got older I started to realize you know how much I really did love music I would always make playlists for my friends I was super into like Justin Bieber and One Direction I ran like a huge One Direction fan page on Instagram when I was a kid so long story short like I've always just been super super infatuated with music once I started getting older I started going to a lot of festivals by myself or with my friends um, and so that's kind of how music came into came into my life it's always kind of been there but once I started you know really becoming confident in how I spoke about music and becoming more like confident in my music taste when the opportunity came to you know 
turn that into something so outward facing like TikTok. I felt good about it because I'd spent my whole life loving music and I had to come to that realization like, you know what? Normal people don't love music this much. Like it I, I love music more than the average person and you know, that's a that can be a superpower if I want it to be. So yeah. It's really funny when we were doing or specifically when I was doing kind of my deep dive of your account and trying to learn as much as I could, I was like just writing down song names like I just I was it was going from me doing research to me like oh shoot like she got me this song's really good and then like I would be adding it to a playlist or something and so it's very interesting because your music taste isn't just the the biggest the best you very much have the ability to find um I know underground is an overused term sometimes like oh my god he's so underground and then they're not but (laughs) being able to find so much music at such a high volume is it difficult? Like, what's the process with that? I mean, so for most of my life, like before it became my career, it's something I was just always into. I always loved discovering music that no one else was listening to, being the first one on it. Like, I used to go to, um, like, all the music festivals and go super early so I could see, like, the really early small acts at the beginning of the day. Um, And I've just always enjoyed, you know, finding new sounds that no one else was on to yet. Um, As I've gotten older and now that it's my career, like, listening to so much music all the time, can be really exhausting and when I started getting into the music industry like people that were helping like mentor me and get me into the music industry would tell me like I don't listen to music the same I kind of start to understand that now but at the same time like there's always music I'm excited to listen to so when I get burnt out from listening to like submissions from underground artists sometimes I'll go back and like listen to a playlist that I made when I was 14 and like vibe to that so there's always music I'm excited to listen to, but I definitely get burnt out sometimes listening to so much like underground music, especially when like a large chunk of my day is going through submissions. So a lot of it will be like music that I don't particularly like love, which is totally okay. It's one of my favorite parts of my job is like listening to people's submissions, but uh, it's definitely a lot. I listen to music all day, every day. I always have. Um, when it becomes work, it's definitely uh, important to, you know, take breaks from it and um, all that. But in general, like I'm always gonna love listening to music. I really don't see myself getting tired of music in general. <laughs> No, that's fair. I want to go back to, like, something you're talking about with, like, the building confidence part of it when you went Uh out. Um, Like, what would you just say to somebody who's trying to build that level of confidence, like, put their voice out there? Yeah, I mean, um, I would say building confidence in your music taste is something that takes a lot of time. I think that it can be easy to assume that, you know, like, oh, everyone knows about this song, everyone knows about this artist, or, like, assume that nobody cares about this artist, why would anyone care that I'm sharing? But, you know, I think there's so many music lovers out there, whether it's on, like, a casual, everyday level, or someone like me who's, like, insane and makes it their their career. But there's always going to be at least one person out there who has the same taste as you and has been, like, maybe looking for an outlet to share the music taste that you have but they haven't found it yet so you really never know until you try and I think especially when um you're trying to start up and just share about music you love if you're sharing about something you're passionate about like it's going to be received well I truly believe that if you do something with good intentions like it can only go well so I would say you know if you're looking to start out and you want to be a curator or start a blog or do anything where you're putting your music taste out there building confidence in your music taste is going to come from you putting it out there and then seeing the good results come so you know you can never be fully prepared to do it one day you just gotta like go for it and you know when you see it start to work out that'll help you build your confidence because I definitely became more confident over time as I started to see my work be received well at first I was like very nervous um and I still get nervous sometimes but yeah I think just practice makes perfect and you'll gain confidence with time what about with finding your voice it seemed I looked at your old videos versus some of your new ones and you kind of over time found more topics you liked or kind of episodes that you would do of different types of content and you really like kind of settled into who you are your personality and showcasing both who you are but also your knowledge base and sharing music mm-hmm. how was that process of finding your voice how did you decide like what to make exactly um yeah yeah so I think finding my voice has been, it's been a really interesting journey. 99% of the times, like the the topics I come up with or what I want to talk about are just because I'll be listening to music and an idea will pop in my brain and I'll like manically write it down on a post-it note. And that's how I come up with most of my ideas. I try not to get 
most of my ideas from what other people are doing because I really just want to stay original and come up with topics that I'm excited about um, and that'll be easy for me to talk about. So I think, yeah, a big part of finding my voice has been just, you know, talking about things that feel easy and natural for me to talk about rather than forcing it. I don't really do a lot of scripted videos, rarely ever. Like most of my videos are taken in the first, the first take I post it, you know? So that's a big way of helping me find my voice has been doing it in the easiest way possible and doing it in the most authentic way as possible. Um, so yeah, just knowing that like my voice is my voice. It's not something that I have to build to please anyone else. It's just like the act of being myself is all I need to do. So also just in terms of expanding subject matter, I definitely get stuck once in a while. Like I completely will be uninspired for a couple weeks and I just kind of let it be. And then a new idea will pop into my brain and I'll put it out there and see it do well. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's something that just comes really naturally to me, honestly, which I'm, I'm very lucky to have as a content creator is just like constantly having ideas. And also like smoking weed gives me great ideas. I can't even lie. Like I didn't even really start smoking weed until I started um, doing TikTok. That was right around when I started using weed. And so like that has been like a huge push to my creativity and coming up with like topic ideas. And would you say when it comes to your your video concepts overall, you mentioned a lot of it's like writing down manic ideas. Do you have to record them like ASAP? Because I've talked to some people and they say like they'll think of an idea and by the time they get around to finding it, they're like, oh, it's stale. Like I have no longer interest. Like how fast does it go from like idea to I've made that video? It's so true. Like I will give you an example. Here's the, po here's the post-it note of like the last few days with like three to four manic ideas on it where I'm just like, ah, oh, I have an idea. And I'd say like maybe, maybe one of these I could do with like full energy and the other ones I kind of feel like I've already lost like the, uh, the energy I felt when I originally had the idea. So if I'm in the place to film a video about it, I will do it as quickly as possible because like when I'm in that moment, I have like every point I wanna to touch on in my mind. I have like the energy of being excited about it. Um, if it's like a couple days later, it's kind of hard for me to recall that energy sometimes. It really is unique to the topic I wanna to talk about. If it's something that's been like resting in my brain for a while, I could probably do, do the video pretty well. Now that I'm more busy and I have like a lot more things going Going on it's hard for me to stop what I'm doing make a whole video edit it and put it out there um, so I'm getting better at like scheduling when I have to film my videos and taking ideas and saving them for later but normally if I'm able to the best situation is like me stopping in my tracks and making the video right when I have the idea I don't have that luxury all the time but uh, that's how I like to do it most but uh, yeah it's different every day really yeah, uh, okay, so I want to pivot a little bit. Something that Jack and I are both super curious on is, like, we know when you were first starting, um, you were, like, t doing a lot of, like, playlist things. So, like, oh, here's a cool playlist that I made. Check it out. Like, here's a playlist for the specific mood. And then you eventually went on to, like, you can pay me to make you a playlist for you. Um, how did that work? Like, how, how, do you, how do you do that? Like, how do you catch a, like, just based off of just somebody, like, meeting you or like writing a couple sentences how do you like make a playlist based off of that yeah so i like a little background i've just always loved making playlists for people i like making them as gifts like playlist is my playlists are my number one flirting strategy or like even just like sending a song i think that i communicate i'm not really good with words like um, I communicate best through music. I feel like sending a playlist or a song is a lot easier for me to communicate how I feel than like talking about it directly. So when it came to making playlists for people, I really loved like getting a vision of who someone is or just like through when people actually, let me take a step back. This is how I do it. Um, <laughs> so I would basically have people fill out a Google form um, and I would have them fill out their favorite artists, what artists they're looking to get into, what genres they are looking to get into. And then I ask a couple really important questions and this is what helps me like get the playlist right is like, um, it would be like, what's your relationship with music like? When you hear a song that you love for the first time, how does it feel? Um, and just kind of questions like that to feel out emotionally how they feel about music. And so from being able to see like what artists they listen to and also what their emotional relationship to music is, I generally just kind of get a sense immediately of like what would work for them. I just kind of, 
it's just like my talent, I guess. It's something I I just I'm really good at kind of getting a vibe of what kind of energy music wise people are looking for. So that's kind of how I would do it. I would have them fill out this form and then I would send them the playlist. Originally I had people just like Venmo or PayPal me for the playlist. Now I have it set up in like an online store as a product that you can buy. Um, and so that's kind of how I did it. And now I've gotten to the place where I'm curating custom playlists for like restaurants or for like companies. So I, I still do it the same way. I just have them, you know, like give me what, what artists, what genres, and what their relationship to music is. And from that, I can usually build out a pretty good playlist. I'm definitely getting one. Like, the, yeah. There's this, I, I'm just curious to see, like, based on – it's just uh, a skill I don't have, and so I'm interested to see the brain of somebody and what it, what it builds. Yeah, it's a really fun time. And, I mean, like – when I'm having like those days where I'm feeling really uninspired, stressed, maybe like not loving what I'm doing, when I come back to making playlists every single time, it literally just like fills me with gratitude and wonder. Just like going back to that basic act of like making a playlist is what started everything for me. So uh, it's definitely like one of my favorite things to do and like a very essential part of who I am. And I'm sure your relationship to music has been interesting now that you're, of course, the relationships with actual artists and whatnot, but also you've been getting into DJing, I've been seeing, and so, like, now being on the side of, like, making music for somebody as an experience, I'm sure has been interesting. It's been very interesting. DJing and making a playlist are so different. Because, like, DJing is more of, like, a flow. It's more of a present thing where you're in the room. You feel what the vibe is. You see how people are reacting. You have a minute to set up a song. And so it's a lot more of, like, an in-the-moment thing. Whereas, like, a playlist is a very, like, premeditated. You can take your time to craft it perfectly. You, like, the order, like, the flow. It's something that you can spend time really building out. Um, whereas DJing is just, like, an on-the-spot thing. They're both two really beautiful arts. Um... And I also love, like, DJing is, like, kind of opening the door to producing for me, which is a dream I have, like, when you're able to, like, mix two songs and have that that changeover in between where, like, the beats match up and the songs sound really cool together. That's, like, a really fun aspect that you don't get with making a playlist. So, yeah. So yeah, the most time there is, like, to... crossfade. Oh, sorry, Jack. Go ahead. No, go ahead. You got it. I was just, I was there just saying, like, the most I have there is, like, crossfade. Like, on Spotify, where you can be like, oh, like, let me go back and forth yeah. <laughs> between the two yeah. songs. But, you get, like, yeah. the five-second transition between songs. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Lucky. It matches <laughs> like, up. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Jack, go on. <laughs> so, you've you made playlists, you started making content, but you do a lot more than that now. You have mentioned you're an artist manager, you curate actual events, you work with a lot of industry people and to do um, very cool things that um, we're both super um, interested in. And so how does one go from I make videos about music and I make playlists to I work in the music industry? And how does someone do it themselves? And we talked about this kind of pre-interview. Um, right. Without having to use the traditional maybe internship or I have to work a low-level position and then work myself up. Like, What does that look like for you personally? Right. Okay. This is going to be a very long-winded answer. Um, for me, cool. Me, me personally, first of all, like my story is I started by making videos and then over time people started reaching out to me. I remember the first person to really reach out to me and offer like a hand was this woman, Maria, who is the VP of A&R at Columbia. She hit me up like super, super early in my TikTok career. And she was just like, yo, you remind me of young me. Like, I want to help you. I want to mentor you. And so she, she was helping me a lot. And um, this other amazing guy named Ryan, um, Ryan Stanton reached out and he was giving me guidance too so the first step was like making those few first connections of people who saw potential in what I was doing that boosted my confidence a lot and being able to kind of when opportunities started to arise I had people I could talk to because I had no experience in the music industry I also had no business experience like I was coming in with literally no idea how to maneuver this um, so I really came from connecting with people um, I'm very headstrong in like uh, 
remaining independent in my work that's been really important to me from day one so um, whenever I would approach like uh, a collaboration or someone wanting to work with me I would always make sure that I put my ideas first and that you know I was really strong in that I think that's a reason why I've been able to be so successful um but yeah I I got I did take one internship at the beginning of my career which was at Venice Music which is a really dope um distribution company um so that I was there for like six months and that definitely gave me a lot of insight into like the back end of the music industry kind of how it works but I still really had no idea um what I was doing I still don't really know what I'm doing like I'm really just rolling with the punches but yeah the whole reason I was able to get into everything was it was all on like a freelance basis I started like having artists reach out to me and ask if I could help them promote their music that's how I got into a lot of that and then um I started artists managing Diz, best artist ever, GOAT, um, just because the, the internship I was at at the time had a panel about women in management, and I watched that panel and was really inspired, and right around that time I heard Diz, and I was like, okay, I know of a couple people who are managers, I'm going to give it a try, and as me and Diz started out, I again had no idea what I was doing, but by that time I had made connections with friends who were managers, so I had resources, people who could help me. Um, and gosh, and now I've grown to, you know, doing interviews, doing shows, and every single time I embarked on like a new branch of what I was doing in my career, I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea how I was gonna do it. All I knew was that I was passionate and I was gonna find a way. And luckily I'd surrounded myself with people who were very experienced and good at what they were doing. So that's kind of how I got to where I'm at. And so in terms of, you know, giving advice to other people on how they can, you know, kind of start a career like this, you definitely don't need to enter through an internship or a job. In fact, one thing that I've learned is, you know, I think a reason I've been able to move so quickly um, and grow such a strong career is because I've um, kept all of my, my energy and my time prioritizing my own project so rather than working like eight hours a day to hold up someone else's company or work I've invested that time into building my own and I've just found that to be you know a really quick way to grow I'm not saying it's the only way to do it but to me like uh I think just moving moving with a lot of self-confidence taking time to invest in you know your dream and your project um has been it's a really important thing to do and also surrounding yourself with you know people who are really experienced and people who you look up to because you know like I said earlier throughout my journey I always would embark on something new and have people to ask how to do things along the way so I would say you know as you're as you're working towards growing your career surround yourself with people who you look up to people you can trust and don't be afraid to ask questions um, a lot of the music industry is like learning on the go people are always just like out here kind of winging it. <laughs> so um, yeah, but you definitely don't, you don't need to enter through, through, through a job or internship. You can definitely uh, be very successful just by starting something of your own. And I'm sure some of that um, success lies in a lot of the relationships that you make because you mentioned that, that first mentor that said, like you remind me of me, Namisha and I both have people just like that who are like, you're young, you kind of remind me of myself. Like, I want to help you and so that person that initial person is huge but how have relationships played a role in the music industry in both educating you but also maybe getting you in the right doors and the right rooms to further your career because networking is seen as like this weird thing and I don't like calling it that it's relationship building and creating deep relationships so how did you navigate that right I think that's been it's been so important and when everyone said it's all about who you know when I was younger I was like yeah okay but it's really true I I got into a career I have no college education in because I was good at people you know so I think that uh my approach to like networking has always been making friends like I I really just try to surround myself with people in music who I'm friends with first and then we're happy to help each other um I rarely like will set out to make a relationship with someone if I don't like them on a personality level like no matter how much they can help me like if you're an asshole I do not fuck with you like if you're an asshole I do not care what you can help me with like I have no interest in you know being your friend so that that's been like my first approach has been uh surrounding myself 
myself with people who are friendly, who I want to hang out with, who I'm excited to talk to, who support me on a personal level first, you know? So many of my friends and people I work with will check in on me personally before getting into any work shit. They'll be like, hey, how are you doing? Like, how are you feeling? How's your week? Just little things like that. I'd say surround yourself with people like that. That's so important. But, um, yeah, I mean, what was the original question again? Sorry, I kind of got on a little tangent. It was more of like, how'd you get in the rooms and how beneficial was it to kind of meet those people? Right. So through meeting those people um, on like a friend's first basis, it's been really helpful for me. I mean, it's how I was able to start throwing shows um, was because I was able to find partners who believed in me and wanted to help me throw my shows like the guys at Green Tea Studios um, and also my friend JR, who threw my first show with me. Um, were like just connections I had made who were excited and wanted to help me. I'd say like one of the most important doors that was opened for me was when I got to go on tour with Earth Gang earlier this year. It was all because my friend David, who manages Mike Dimes, he like and I had been he and I had been friends for a little bit and he saw an opportunity because Earth Gang's management was looking to bring someone on tour. He recommended me and that changed my whole life. So just because of one person I knew threw me an opportunity, you know, that's how this whole thing this whole thing kept growing. Same with, for example, um, interviewing Jid happened because of a friend I had made way at the beginning of my career. Um, my friend Luis, he um, works with an artist named Cabuasa and named another artist named Snow Xavier who had um, been at my shows really, really early in my career. Um, so I'd known Luis for a really long time. And like a year after we had met, he ended up working at Interscope and being able to set up an interview with Jid with me. Um, so, you know, the friendships you make can take you, can open a door like years down the line and you won't even expect it. Um, but yeah, it's helped me in a lot of ways. And also just having people to confide in, people to talk to. This career is really confusing. There's no real roadmap, especially for like content creation because it's so new. So having a lot of people around me who are in the same career who I trust, um, has been really beneficial. Just getting, getting advice, getting comfort when I feel like I'm fucking up, um, and you know, getting support whenever I'm working on a new project. It's it's really everything. Like I wouldn't be anywhere without my relationships. Yeah, I totally get that. I wanna kinda go back just a little bit um, and ask about, uh, like you keep on, there's this recurring theme of like being strong in your ideas like that I get from you or like being very firm in yourself, like talk your shit and like back it up. Um, and so what would you say to someone who's like afraid to do that? Um, and it's like, they're not really sure, like taking a bigger step, whether it be taking a bigger step or just like being afraid that like they're gonna overcommit and like underperform or something like that. Like, what do you say mm -hmm. to somebody like that? What I would say is like, um, I don't know, I think kind of zooming out of your life and your perspective can be really helpful. Like looking at this whole thing, like you get one life, life is short. We live on a floating rock in the middle of space. At any moment, a meteor could come and kill us all. Like anything could happen. You never know. So when you look at life from that perspective, which I do, it's like I really, you know, I see no reason to not go as hard as I can for my dreams. And if it doesn't work out, I can find another way. Like life isn't going to go on without you if you don't, you know, succeed in your goal. So that's the first thing I would say is just like, if you're feeling unsure about taking a step and, you know, going after your dream, it's like, A, what do you have to lose? Life is so short. Like, you do not want to leave this life not, like, not having chased your dream, you know? So I think that's a really important thing to look at. Um, what else? I mean, I would say like, all these people that we see in the world who are so successful are all of those people who took that step. Like you are not gonna have any reward if you don't take any risk. You know, like the the scariest the scariest moments of stepping out in your comfort comfort zone um, are often the moments that you know change your life. And so I can't even explain to you how many scary, terrifying decisions I've made where I was like, I'm taking this leap of faith. I have no idea what's gonna happen those are the moments that, you know, get you into your dreams, you know? So that's what I would say is like, if you, if you really are about, you know, trying to chase your dream and make something happen for yourself, you have to be willing to take that risk. And like, what, what is a life without taking big risks? You know, I just think that, uh, 
you know, I want to, I want to experience as much as I can experience, go as far as I can. So I want to, I want to push those boundaries, you know, and I think something that also helped me a lot when I was afraid to take big risks is I would listen to people who I looked up to who are really successful, like, like Kanye right here on my shirt. Kanye has always been like such a huge inspiration for me watching his interviews and watching him just be like, so insanely sure of himself made me feel so confident in doing what I was doing. Or, you know, people like uh, Pharrell, people like, who else? I don't know. Like, just just really looking up to and listening to the advice of people who came before me who achieved dreams in the way that I want to achieve my dreams. If you listen to them, you'll see, like, how all of these people, what they have in common is telling you to take that jump and take that risk. So it's like, why wouldn't you listen to them, you know? And it's working for me. So I feel like it'll work for you, too. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, like, one thing that I've always heard uh, other people say is, like, how bad is your fear or like fear of looking stupid or like fear of failing as opposed to like how bad do you want it and like for me that always helps in like the moment because it's easy to like sit here right now and be like oh yeah like I'd never like not shoot my shot or something but then like when that moment actually happens you can like feel yourself being like shit like I don't know um, and that's when, like, I always say to myself, like, how bad is my fear of looking stupid versus how bad do I want this? And then it's like, bad. yeah, yeah, literally, like your dream is on the other side of fear, you know, like fear is not a real thing. Like fear is something that you can push through. Obviously, like fear is there to keep you safe. Fear is a thing to, you know, keep you in your comfort zone, which is which is a good thing at times. But, you know, you also have to be able to stand up to fear and push past it, because right on the other side of pushing through that thing you're afraid of is like where you want to be. So, you know, it's something that takes a lot of practice. And I know for me over the past, like, two years of having this career, I've gotten a lot more comfortable with risk, where at the beginning it was, like, terrifying for me to take these kind of risks. So once you start doing it and see it start working, you'll become more comfortable in taking risks. But for me, it's been, like, a really essential part of my journey is, like, taking leaps of faith when, you know, I really did not know if I was going to be able to do it. And it worked. It's working so far. We'll see if it keeps working. Yeah. I feel like sometimes you have to, like, stare at yourself in the mirror and just be like, oh, like, I'm that guy, even if you're not that guy, you know? Literally. And that's how you, like, convince yourself. But also, I feel like sometimes, like, you learn from, um, like, not taking fail, like, or, like, not taking a risk. So, like, we had, uh, for example, we had someone on the podcast a couple weeks ago. Um, he's a really cool guy, um, like, creative, like, into fashion, music. Um, like, he writes music and stuff. Um and he was telling us about how he's, like, really good at weaseling his way into, like, a room, like, just somehow. Um, and he was telling us about how uh, when Pharrell had the Somethings in the Water show, um, he was from the D.C. area, this guy. Um, so when Pharrell had the Somethings in the Water show, this guy was like, I will be in the room with Pharrell. Um, and he was like, I'm going to make this happen. And so he did some research, found, like, an artist panel, um, and then like basically like talked to just a bunch of people and like made it to like the back room like whatever whatever that is like he made it to the back room uh the third door if you will um and he's like everyone just kind of like sit around he's like around all these like very important people and then he like intentionally picks out like a nicer outfit and pharrell like walks through the door literally like like three feet away from where he is like right there um, and, like, he yeah. even, like, noted, like, Pharrell, like, notices his outfit and, like, whatnot and um, kind of looks him up and down. And in that moment, like, he was just, like, I didn't know what the fuck to say. So he just, like, didn't say anything. And he was, like, since that day, he was, like, I've never, like, not said anything. Because <laughs> he was, like, yeah. that was, he was, like, he's, like, I'm pretty good at, like, talking to people and whatnot. I mean, he was good enough to get into that room. Um, mm -hmm. but just, like, something about, like, being in the presence of, like, his idol just, like, got to him, and he was, like, I will never do that ever again with anyone else, and that's, like, a really valuable lesson to have learned regardless, right? 100%. That's something I'm, like, trying to work through right now is, like, get, I'm starting to get more into interviews, and I'm so afraid of approaching people when I see them and I have the opportunity. I remember with, like, with Jid, I actually I had scheduled to get an early uh, interview with him earlier in the day, and then the timing fell through. It was a really busy day, so it ended up being the night of his album listening party. He was super busy, surrounded by people, and I was not going to go up to him and ask for an interview. I was like, I don't want to bother him. He's so overwhelmed. There's a million people asking him to do shit I don't want to be that guy to go up and be like can I please interview you Mr. Jid but then um 
my friend Maurice was there who runs that TikTok page called the People Gallery where they like go up to people and he's like, oh, tell us your fit. He was like, he, he got an interview with Jid that night and he was like, Annabelle, you just need to go up there and you need to ask. Like, this is your one time, one chance. Like, you have to go up with confidence. And he talked me into going up and asking Jid for an interview. I got it and that ended up being a huge moment in my career. So, you know, that's still something I'm working on is, you know, like being in the room with someone I look up to with an idol and having the confidence to go up and be like, hey, I'm gonna talk to you. And you know, like I wanna interview you and stuff like that. So it's definitely a really hard fear to get over. But I know for me, like once I get over that fear and get more comfortable pushing those boundaries, I'm gonna get more interviews. So, you know, working through fear is a really important part of advancing your career. All right, Amish and I like to call this the flinch, and it's the moment where uh, a lot of times it's for like interviews, you see somebody and you hesitate for a split second. It's like when a guy's afraid to go talk to a girl, pretty go to a party or something. It's like that moment where you have the pit in your stomach, like what if this goes terribly wrong? Like what if this fails in my face and you see in your head all those things that go wrong? Mm -hmm. But what you don't see is what can go right the, the right. dream vision of what could happen and so I've changed my perspective uh, while being in college to nobody in this room has the boldness to go up to this the biggest person in the room the most successful person in the room and so why not me if no mm -hmm. one else is doing it then they're probably not even being approached that much because everybody else is scared Right. And so your friend had like the ability to go up to Jid, but how many people were in that room that didn't that day? Right. And they were too scared. And so really, you're in good company, and the people that actually reach out are probably the ones and that speak in a genuine way. There's a difference between saying like, "Hey, I really need this interview for my career," or saying, "Hey, like, I think I could have a positive interaction with you. I can we can share a moment, whatever." There's a different approach to that. And you mentioned in a video how important the genuineness and, and going forth with almost a relationship empathetic tone versus saying like hey i want something from you the relationship isn't just to get something it's to meet somebody and it should be mutually beneficial in some way even if it's more marginally towards one person than the other but just mm -hmm. getting over that first flinch moment to be able to push past the resistance to make the first move in a situation like you said it changed your career in in a multitude of ways and um hopefully you get tons of more interviews like that um down the road with artists just as big as jid um yeah. but it's it, and then over time, you get the practice of like saying, like, person, go. And then you just, it's done. Yeah, exactly. That's something I think is so true. I have, like, a really long journal entry on that exact topic, actually. Like, stopping in your tracks in that moment of fear. Because it feels like that moment of fear is, like, such a pivotal moment in how your life can go and like what decision you're gonna make. So like, I think it's so important when you feel that, you know, that flinch, that moment of fear to stop and like lean into it and be like, okay, why am I afraid? What am I afraid of? What's the worst that could happen? What's the best that can happen? And exactly like, why not me? Why shouldn't I be the one to go after this? Like, what's the worst that can happen? I'm not gonna die if they say no to this interview. Like, I'm, you know, so I think that's so true. Like stopping in that moment of fear and turning it into an opportunity rather than like a roadblock is huge huge game changer and i'm sure you felt that when you were trying to get into the event business and putting on shows and whatnot because i personally have like extreme interest in community curation and making an experience for people and designing that experience yourself and so i'd love if you could go into not only how you got that what he's trying to say is a nerd a show. completely i i i've kind of nerd out about this stuff um, but I, i'd love to know how you not only got those first couple of shows, but then how you plan it to make it the best experience for not only the artists involved and get the right like set list of everybody um, going, but also so that the experience that you want them to feel, you make happen, if that makes sense. Right, so events is a really hard thing to make perfect because there are so many moving parts so much you have to deal with it's definitely still the thing I think I need most growth in in my career is like I I events is like a really crazy thing to do so the first event I did actually the first event I planned was in Oregon and I ended up having to cancel it right before because I got COVID but I was planning like um, a house party in my college town of Eugene, Oregon, where it was just good music, because all the all the parties in my town had the shittiest music. Like it was all the frats playing like the worst EDM remixes, and they had like the Chads up on the DJ booth, just like 
stinking it up. No offense, y'all. No, no, no offense to the frat boys at U of O, but like their music was not good. And so I really wanted to have a house party for everyone in my town who loved like great music, like good hip hop, amazing fun house music. I ended up having to cancel that um, because I got COVID. So my first real show ended up being in LA. It was called The Ascension. It was in partnership um, with my friend JR who runs a company called Serendipitous Music. And so we, we put that show together and it was my first time doing anything like that. There were a million things that were wrong with it, but what we got right was the community aspect of it. And I think that was the really first important thing I learned about putting together a good show is when you bring together a community of people who care about each other and who care about the music first, like a million things can go wrong and they'll still be having a good time because they're just here for the music. So as I move forward and putting together shows, like the number one thing I wanted to do and always focus on was community. So that's community between the artists and you know the at attendees and community like within the attendees. So I think about, you know, when I'm putting together a lineup, I'm thinking about each of these artists has their own community of people. Like what does this artist's community look like? What do they care about? And how will they interact with the community that this artist is gonna bring in on the lineup. So when I'm putting together a lineup of artists, I'm thinking about how all of their communities, how can all the communities be harmonious? And you know, what will it look like when all of these different people come together? So like what I've been loving about specifically like um, the show series I'm doing in LA called Sunday Sounds, we've done six of them. Each time it's like the most incredible community of people coming together because we have like local LA hip hop artists. We have, um, we work with this collective in LA called Kogo and they largely spotlight like Southeast Asian artists or um, just South Asian artists in general. And so like that's a beautiful community that's so supportive whenever they come together they like go so hard for all the other artists um so yeah I just think like looking at everything from a community standpoint has been a big reason why our shows are like such a good vibe and so successful so far um but aside from that I just say like being organized has been really important trying to find like a good system to make sure that you know no detail goes unchecked or unnoticed making sure that everything gets done far in, in advance that's something I'm still working on like putting together shows you really need like two to three months of planning at least to put together a good show. And I'm now learning when you try to do things too last minute, it can kind of turn out a little shitty. So uh, yeah, giving myself time on the shows has been really important, but just in general, yeah. Um, I also think my last point on this is like, I grew up going to so many festivals, like I've seen what a good show feels like and looks like. So I just try to replicate that within, within my own shows. How do you go from the visionary of a show, because of course you have a, a concept in your mind of like, this is what this looks like, versus mm -hmm. the logistics and also the reality of like, this is what I have to work with. Right, I think I always try to like come up with the ideal show first and then go as hard as I can to make all, like check all of those important boxes. I always start out with the lineup. That's the most important thing to me. That's the whole thing behind that good shit is like the first thing that you are going to know about our shows is the lineup is going to be impeccable. Every artist is going to be an amazing experience. It's not gonna be like one or two openers that flop and then like a good headliner. You know, I make sure that every artist is there for a reason and it makes sense. So I think when you build out a really good lineup, um, that's like the most important detail of all. So I always try to get that figured out first. And then, yeah, I'd say like, I always just try to picture like what the energy in the room feels like, what kind of venue is going to allow that energy to come through. Do I want to be indoors or outdoors? You know, like, oh, if I want it to be very community oriented, I want to involve, you know, like brands that are part of this community. What brands can I reach out to, to, you know, involve in this show? So yeah, I would say just kind of, I try to look at everything from more of a like conceptual perspective rather than saying like, oh, it needs to be a venue of this many square feet and this much capacity, da da da. Instead, I'm trying to think of, oh, like what, what, uh, what aspects of the venue or aspects of the show are gonna bring in the energy that I want, if that makes sense. So that's kind of how I approach it. Yeah, let's talk a little it's such more. A vibe, it's such a vibe oh. experience thing. Like it's, for sorry i just love this topic it's because no, it's it's an emotional thing like you feel you don't say like oh my gosh like the wait staff at this event i went, went to or like the staff like of course if it's good they'll go unnoticed that's the goal like there's so many things right. where you don't highlight that was so good about it there was just no issue with it and so that's like what right. the, like 
good thing was that you didn't have to highlight that. And it's mm-hmm. such a, an emotional thing. You know how an event, a concert, a venue made you feel instead of being mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, like the flow of the artist from one to another and the host was so positive. You're just mm-hmm. like, oh man, that person who was talking was so annoying if it went bad. And so mm-hmm. if an event is fine, you did okay, but the event or thing you put on has to be great for somebody to say, wow, that was awesome. If it's fine, you might have not done your job as well as you wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a really interesting thing. I could talk about events forever. It's definitely like um, one of the hardest parts of my career. I can't even lie. Like stre- planning events is so effing stressful, but it's also like one of the most rewarding things. Like when you have an amazing event, the way that that can impact your brand, your career, and also like strengthen your relationships with the artists who are a part of the event is really beautiful. Like I, I just love seeing artists that I adore so much, seeing them in front of a crowd that's so excited to see them is like one of the most rewarding things in the whole world, you know? So I'm, I'm always so happy with the events, whether or not we get like, I've had events that have, I would never call any event a failure, but I've had events that like, you know, kind of undersold or like were smaller than I expected or stuff like that. But every event where like the artist is able to get up and share their music, like at the end of the day, if that happens, like I'm happy about it. But luckily we've only had shows with like positive reviews no matter what. So hopefully it stays that way, but I'm not afraid to have one show that flops one day. Like it's gonna happen and I'm, I'm not afraid of when that day comes. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. Um, so I'm f- very curious, what does the future look like for Annabelle? What, is, what does the future look like for That Good Shit Music? Like, what do, you, what do you have in store for us? Wow. I mean, I, I don't know exactly what the future is going to look like. I could tell you that, like, the next year is going to involve, like, bigger shows, um, definitely some, like, really exciting new merch, um might be venturing into like making some like weed related merch which was a big part of that good shit's original idea um so like probably like some rolling trays or papers that are like that good shit branded which i'm really excited about um on the artist management side diz is working on like a really really incredible album so i'm just gonna be focusing a lot on that so you can look forward to a new album from diz coming later this year that's gonna just like blow your mind um and just in general, like I think expanding my my horizons of my content and what it looks like. I really want to get into YouTube and Twitch, do like longer form interviews and stuff like that. Other than that, like I'm open to whatever comes my way. Right now, I'm really enjoying like focusing on what's immediately in front of me, focusing on the next few months and letting everything else beyond that just play out naturally because I only have so much control over where things go, you know? Yeah, totally. So... I, I enjoy the attachment to the future, but what's interesting is that the future only comes with what you do every day. And so I'm very curious, what does the day in the life look like for Annabelle? Because it's in a, like, I'm sure you know this, it's an obscure career to be in and an interesting thing. And so not everybody may understand like what you do. Yeah, yeah. Um, so every day is so different. It's crazy. I'd say like on an ideal day where I'm on top of my shit is like, I'll wake up in the morning. I'll probably like go for a run or exercise if I can. Um, and then I'll usually answer emails. Um, I try to listen to submissions every day. Otherwise they pile up really quickly. So I'll listen to some submissions. If I have any custom playlists that people bought from that good shit, I'll make a couple custom playlists for people. And then I usually have just like a a work notebook with everything I need to do for the day. So I'll kind of just like sit at my desk and work for a couple hours, eat a snack, work for a couple hours, go on a walk. And like in my day of work usually consists of um, event planning. I'm always working on at least one event. So that might be uh, talking to artists, uh, doing some graphic design for the flyer, locking in a venue. Um, in terms of artist management stuff, I might, you know, be communicating with Diz about what we want to do for like this album rollout. I'm probably pitching to people, setting up, you know, like uh, blog placements for him. Um, 
what else? I work at, I work for Noisy um, under Vice, so I make videos for them a couple times a week, so I'll be talking to my editor, coming up with video ideas, um, and then like a huge part of my day is filming, so I'm probably filming like three to five TikToks every day, editing them, getting them ready to put up. I usually like will film, edit, and post like kind of within one sitting, um, just like energy-wise, that makes the most sense for me. So that's usually what my days look like. And then I also try to, you know, I stretch every day. I try to eat pretty healthy. I try to get outside. Um, and yeah, outside of that, I also go to like, I go outside to a lot of meetings. I might link up with someone in Manhattan. Um, I might go to a show at night. Um, what's, what's great about my career is every day is really different and I'm in charge of my own time, which is something I really enjoy about like kind of doing what I'm doing in a more entrepreneurial style. Um, that's generally what a day in my life looks like, but then there's, like, this last week, I kind of, like, fell off my usual grind, so I would wake up at, like, 10.30 a.m., maybe not start working until noon, you know, film a couple videos, take a nap, fall behind on my work, but, you know, get very much needed rest, so it's really different every day, um, but yeah, I, I usually work, like, like, all day every day, and then during the weekends, I will, I will try to, like, calm down on my work, not answer any emails, go to like some stuff in the city with my friends, go see a movie, stuff like that. What, what do you pitch? Like, is it for artists, venues, like what, who, and who are you pitching to? I do lots of different types of pitching. Um, right now I'm like pitching to artists for interviews. So like working with um, a couple friends who work at labels to try to help pull in some artists for interviews when they're on tour. Like that's how I just got with a West Side Boogie was through my friend at Interscope. Um, or right now I'm trying to pitch some artists for like an in-person interview series. So I do that kind of pitching. I pitch Diz's music to all types of playlists and creators and blogs um, and anyone who can help, you know, get Diz's music covered. So a lot of pitching on that end. Um, and also right now I'm pitching a lot of my shows to sponsors because throwing shows is dummy expensive and no one has the money to do that. So uh, reaching out to like brands that I really look up to and seeing if they're down to help sponsor my shows. So that means like putting together a deck that explains the show I'm trying to put on and all of that. So pitching that as well. So that's like the normal types of pitching I'm doing. Has that learning curve been like interesting, tough? Because it's, you mentioned you never really a lot of business experience and that's like something mm -hmm. for me that I do often with some of the stuff I do in school. Um, but it's in a different, whole different like realm and perspective than the things that you may do. Yeah. I like, honestly, pitching is one of my least favorite things to do. I hate asking people for stuff. Like that's something I'm trying to get over with my music career is like, I don't like asking people for things. I like making things happen on my own. So having to like asking for help is okay. And it's something you should be able to do. It's something I have a hard time with. So pitching is definitely a, it's a, it's a harder topic for me. So I try to just uh, approach pitching like, you know, I'm really excited about this thing. I want to give you an opportunity to also be excited about this thing. If it fits, if it doesn't, it's not a big deal. I'm a very big believer that, you know, like when I'm pitching like Diz's music to be covered by like blogs or something, if they say no, it's not a big deal because I really want like his music to only be covered by people who are truly passionate about it. So that's how I try to like view pitching. Um, but yeah, I'm learning how to do it. Like I, I like putting together decks. It's like putting together like adult slideshows. So that's kind of fun. Um, yeah, I think like my approach to pitching has just been like express that I'm excited and hope that energy like carries on to the people who receive it, <laughs> receive it. Yeah, for sure. And I was just, I wanted to like, uh, Jack and I are like very curious just about, it seems like your day, um, is very, I don't want to say regimented, but it seems like you have a really nice balance going on where you're like, I wake up, like. I work a lot, but I also make time for important things. Um, mm -hmm. How long did it take you to find that balance? And like, what do you do when like maybe your work gets really high and you're like, shit, like, I don't know if I have time to like go for a run or something. Like, what do you do in those moments? 
Yeah, well, I grew up with two parents who both, um, like, my mom is an entrepreneur and business owner, and my dad is, like, a freelance filmmaker, so I have two parents who have always been pretty in charge of their own work schedule, so, like, my mom wakes up at 5.30 every morning, goes to the gym, runs, like, eight miles on the treadmill, and, you know, manages to run a very successful business out of, like, our house, so I have people like her to look up to. My dad wakes up really early every morning, so that's something I adopted, so I would say, like, like finding balance for me has looked like waking up early, finding that time to exercise, find, finding time to eat healthy. Um, and when I'm in that flow of the balance, you know, it just really helps me handle the amount of work I have and put everything into perspective. But, you know, on the other side of that is like sometimes I'm not in balance and sometimes I fall out of it. I'll start like I had a really tough week last week where like I was waking up way too late I was not exercising I was not eating very healthy and then I started to get really stressed out and start to like literally panic over the volume of work I had to do so um it's something that takes constant work and um I think once you start to see like the evidence of when I do these certain activities to help me find balance in my day, I will always feel better about my work. So I would say it's just like all about trying as hard as you can to identify what practices help you find balance throughout your day and really having self-discipline to stick to them. And also being not too hard on yourself when you fall out of them because it happens sometimes. Like, for example, like I said, like last week was a really hard week for me. I did not take care of myself the way I should. So like today on Sunday, I'm cleaning my room. I'm doing my laundry. I'm like setting myself up for a week where I plan on exercising, getting back into eating healthy. So just having that self-awareness of when you do fall out of balance, being like, okay, I'm going to take this time to be intentional, to reset and, you know, give myself an opportunity to get back into that balance. I think that when I look up to, you know, I look at all these people I look up to, like I really look up to people like Pharrell. Um, I really look up to people like Janae Aiko. And a lot of these people who are really successful and seem like they're really at peace, I try to look at what, what they do to achieve balance. And then I try to model myself after that. So, you know, just like taking really good care of myself, being peaceful, exercising, things like that. You know, I, uh, I try my best to keep that up the best I can. And you mentioned uh, earlier, like, you had a journal, uh, what's it called, entry about a topic that we talked about earlier. Is that also a large part of kind of your, your self-care is that journaling and how do you structure it yourself? Yeah, I definitely, I've been journaling since I was like a little kid. I've been journaling for many years. And so that's definitely really helpful to me when I'm having a hard time um, emotionally. A lot of it like happens because I'm not taking the time to like express my feelings. I'm really not good at talking about my feelings, especially when I'm having a hard time with other people. Um, so I take a lot of my emotions out into journaling. So, and I'm having a really hard time. I'll just sit down with my journal and I'll write for like, a couple hours sometimes. Sometimes I'll like get a really fat journal entry in and it's always just such a relieving experience to be able to write out how I'm feeling, work out my emotions, try to identify why I'm feeling this way, maybe what I can do to address it. Um, but yeah, and it's also a really good way for me to look back on how I was feeling in certain times of my life and knowing I got through those times. Like looking back at my journal entries where like I was just starting out in my career and I was feeling really uncertain. Being able to look back at that from where I am now gives me more reassurance that, you know, one day I'm going to be looking back at, you know, if I'm having a rough time right now, I'll know like a year down the line, I'll be looking back at that from a better place. So it just kind of helps put everything into perspective for me. And another thing I do that's really helpful is, um, you know, the little like photo booth feature on MacBook computers. I take like little, uh, I take like little video journals of myself once every couple months and give like a life update on where I'm at for myself. And then sometimes I'll like talk to my future self and be like, future Annabelle, I hope that you've achieved these things. I hope you're feeling this way. And I'm excited to see where you're at. And so then I'll look back on it and see like little Annabelle from a year ago and I'll be like, wow, you know what, you know, she was going through this and she didn't even know that this was going to happen. So I think like putting time into perspective in those ways has been really helpful for me. I do that with, uh, I do audio journals. I put voice memos on and I'll go on a walk and I'll just talk about oh. what's going on. And then also like if I have a couple big wins recently, I'll be like, in the moment of kind of like you feel that euphoria of like this crazy big thing happened i'll talk to myself so that like if i'm having a tough time later on i can go back to be like look how good you felt like you're still that person that ma made this thing happen get right. back into that zone and that feeling that's been really it's really helpful because it's more that stream of consciousness because sometimes you can't write as fast as the words come to you 
Right, 100%. That's such a good method, too. I think in general, like, a lot of, you know, journaling or keeping voice memos to yourself or anything, a lot of it comes back to, like, um, documenting the ups and downs and realizing that, like, life and career is so much about patterns and ups and downs. Like, you are never going to be up forever and you are never going to be down forever. So the more you can recognize that it's a constant pattern of ups and downs, I think the easier it is for you to stay centered. Totally. And one of the last things we want to talk about is you mentioned that parental influence and how your mom um, like would run six miles in the morning and she also like was an instructor when you were a kid and you they're like you're in the room in the corner and whatnot she also ran a successful business so where do you think of course different industries that influenced maybe um, helped you or uh, taught you some things that may have been able to implement into your career Ooh, that's a great question I think like so that first thing made me think of like my dad's side of the industry. My dad is a freelance creative. He's like a cinematographer. Um, and so he spent his whole life like traveling, doing amazing stuff in his work. And now he's working on making short films. And um, you know, all of his work has always been through the lens of authenticity and telling stories in a way that connects with people. Um, and I think that's something that really helped me in my work is learning about how, you know, when you're excited about sharing a story, other people are gonna be excited to receive it. Um, so that's something that really helped me, you know, being in close proximity to like the film industry in that way and having a dad who's just like so creative and really cares about sharing like people's stories. I would say on my mom's side, um, she works in like textiles and stuff like that. So she runs a whole company like uh, working with hotels on like upholstery and wall coverings and like all this kind of stuff. Um, I know very little about how that industry itself works, but what that has really taught me is like she as a woman business business owner has to, you know, work with a lot of these enormous hotel companies and like fight for her life every day for her voice to be heard and for her opinions to be, you know, validated. Um, so something I really took from that was, you know, being able to speak up and make sure my points are being addressed and that I'm being respected in my work and that, you know, no one is able to play me. Because one thing I have learned is that like people people want to do you dirty sometimes, you know, people want to underpay you, people might want to like cut corners. And so I think really having attention to detail and being to call someone out when being like, hey, I don't think you're being honest with me about this. Or hey, I think there's a better way we can like make this deal work. Um, that's something I learned from her and her work is just standing strong on on my side of things and making sure I'm being my own best advocate, if that makes sense. Awesome. Um, so just wrapping up, everyone that comes on the podcast, we ask them two questions. So the first one that we're going to ask you is, what are two to three pieces of content, um, whether that be music or films or books or articles or whatever, um, that you, like, what are two to three pieces of content that you've consumed um, that have had a really big impact on your life? Wow. Um... The first one would probably be the movie uh, Begin Again. Um, I don't know if y'all have seen that movie. It has like Mark Ruffalo and Keira Knightley in it, but it's about this guy who's like an A&R in music and he lives in New York City. And that movie like painted a huge picture for what I wanted my mid twenties to look like. Um, I wanted to like be living in New York City, surrounded by music, walking through the city like with my headphones and just like, uh, seeing how that that movie did a lot for me about how music can bring the meaning out of any moment, you know, and how music can really like reveal a lot of the unseen in what's around us. So that movie was really impactful for me. Um, and there's literally a scene in that movie where at the beginning, Mark Ruffalo is driving, listening to demos for his record label. And every demo he plays, he's like, no, no, give me something, anything. And like, sometimes that's how I feel like going through submissions. And I think it's really funny how like <laughs> my life has started to reflect that movie a little bit. Um, so I love that movie, Begin Again. And then the second one, I would say, hmm, I have so many, so many things that have impacted me. I'm trying to think what else. 
I would also say the uh, the Showtime documentary about Shangri-La, Rick Rubin's recording studio, has been really impactful for me, just because, like, I could talk about Rick Rubin forever. We were talking about him earlier. Like, uh, seeing, seeing someone like him working with artists from so many different genres and backgrounds and being able to bring the best out of them just by being, like, emotionally present and helping them be open is really, really inspiring to me because that's the kind of work I want to do, you know, like with my shows and with my playlists and everything. I think a lot of it is about connecting music and emotion. So uh, seeing the way that Rick Rubin does that, in especially in that Showtime documentary about Shangri-La, was really, really impactful to me. Um, so that's what I would say my two pieces of content are. And then the final question, Annabelle, that we have for you today is if you go back and give one piece of advice to your teenage self, what would it be? Mm, that's a great question. Teenage self, just like as in high school Annabelle or like early college Annabelle or like what, what kind of teenage are we talking? You can interpret it as whatever Annabelle needed the advice the most. Woof. Okay. Um, I would say, what would I, what would I, what would I say to her, man? That's like, I have so much I want to tell my past self. Probably like a, you're not wrong when you think you're destined for something great. Like I, from a young age, I really like, I, I luckily like grew up with a family who was always telling me like, Annabelle, you're going to do great things. Annabelle, you're going to be amazing. But I really had like this deep belief in me from a really young age that I was put on this earth to do something impactful and beautiful. Um, but for so many years of my life, I did not know what that was. Like even when I was in college, I kind of had an idea that what I was doing, like I wasn't sure if it was the thing that, you know, I really wanted to be doing. So I would just look back at her and tell her, like, you're not wrong when you have that intuitive feeling that you're destined to do something great. Like, just be patient, and it's going to be okay, you know? Um, yeah, I would basically just tell her to trust herself and, uh, you know, know that greater things are coming. That's awesome. Well, we appreciate you coming on today. Um, let everybody know kind of where to find you. Of course, something interesting about yourself is that some of our listeners might be able to go to one of your events um, and maybe even meet you in person. Yeah, you can find me in a multitude of places. Um, my TikTok is Annabelle Klein, A-N-N-A-B-E-L-L-E-K-L-I-N-E-E. -E -E. Uh, that's my TikTok. That's my Instagram. You can also find my brand, That Good Shit, um, on Instagram at ThatGoodSHT or at ThatGoodShitMusic.com. Um, we have a couple shows coming up. I'm working on a show in Atlanta that's most likely going to be in November. Um, it's going to be our first show in Atlanta, so really excited about that. We're also working on our next Sunday Sounds show, which is going to be in October in Los Angeles, late October. So definitely check us out there. Um, and we're always doing events in New York City, so you know, just keep up with us. Uh, we have a lot of exciting stuff coming. And yeah, I'm really grateful for y'all having me. I'm always really excited to talk about you know my career and my journey with people who are passionate about you know entrepreneurship and chasing your dreams. So very grateful for y'all having me today. Well, that's it for today on the Product Alchemy podcast. As always, peace. <laughs>